HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. With more than 30 weekly podcasts, HRN has something for every food lover. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by 818 Tequila, delicious and smooth tequila, meaning harmony with the earth. 818 Tequila, imported by 818 Spirits, Manhasset, New York. 40% alcohol by volume, drink responsibly. Hey, hey, welcome to Beer Sessions Radio on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Jimmy Carboni. I'm the host here at Beer Sessions Radio. It's Tuesday, March 3rd, 2022. This will be episode 627. And it's a fitting episode because uh, both of our guests uh, have been on the show with me before, and they've also been part of our different Food Karma events over the years. Um, So let's introduce each other. I'm Jimmy Carboni. I'm the host. Um, Peter, a quick introduction. About you and Twinstar. Sure. Um, my name is Peter E. from Brooklyn Cider House, uh, and we produce cider at Twinstar Orchards in New Paltz, New York. Uh, my sister and I founded the company eight years ago, and uh, we uh, love cider, and we produce cider uh, up here. Okay. And Ray? Hey, I'm Ray Sheehan, and I am the founder and owner of Barbecue Buddha. And uh, just like Peter, I founded my company about eight years ago as well. Um, It's an all-natural sauce, barbecue sauce and seasoning company. Um, And uh, I'm also a cookbook author. My first book was all about award-winning barbecue sauces. And the second book was all about cooking on the big green egg, in part inspired because we won Sauce King NYC. Uh, grand championship for sauces, and um, the grand prize was a big green egg. Wow, Ray. Thank you, Ray and Peter. Yeah, so, um, you know, back in the heady year of the pandemic 2020, we couldn't do any events, and uh, we did come up with Sauce King NYC, and Ray really stood out as someone who, he was already writing recipes for a national barbecue magazine. He had a new book out, uh, someone who really understood the culinary aspect of sauce and cooking and barbecue. So, we're really thrilled to have you on with Peter Yee, who's also an expert on cider and food and pairings. We're going to talk about getting ready for your kicking off summer, uh, barbecue and grilling and and uh, food and cider pairings. And I'll, I'll talk about a few beer pairings. So 
Ray, d- deep down inside, you you always wanted to be a cook, and you and you've worked all over the place. Let's talk about when you first started Barbecue Buddha. You know why a sauce? Why not a restaurant? And everybody wants to do something with their cooking skills. Um, my background has been, you know, in the food world ever since I can remember. I've worked in just about every aspect from being a busboy up to being a chef and then a food service director for a natural food store chain. And, um, you know, I was never really like satisfied, you know, like, I like, I don't know. I, I was always curious about the next flavor and the next pairing and the next, you know, meal. And, um, you know, I did the culinary school thing. I worked in fine dining. I worked in, you know, every different aspect. Um, and I've always wanted to have a restaurant, um, but more than that, I wanted to have a product on the shelf. And um, long story short, I my wife gifted me a smoker for my birthday, and I started creating different flavor profiles to go on the meats that I was cooking. And um, little by little, people were loving the sauce and the seasoning. So I decided to start that as a, a, a company on the side, so to speak. I kept my day job. And for for the first probably three, four years that we were in business, I kept my day job. And then uh, little by little, I started coming out with this, you know, first was the Memphis Mop. And, and that's been driving the bus for us. Um, you know, it was the winner at Sauce King. It's won probably almost three dozen different uh, sauce awards. And all of our products are all natural. There's no artificial colors, flavors or preservatives in any of them. I really wanted to create food and food profiles that, you know, you would feel good given to your family. Um, but I would say that it, at this point in my career, a restaurant is on the horizon. Yeah. That's going to be the, the logical next step. Wow. That's great. And, you know, like, again, you stand out because you, you wrote so many recipes was it the national, what was the national barbecue magazine that, that you still write for? It, it's uh, it, it used to be called National Barbecue News. They rebranded, and it's Barbecue News Magazine. And it it's um, you know it has a reach of I think about fifty thousand online, and then I'm not sure exactly the print edition, but it's in the thousands. And um, it's it's been a really great experience in the world of barbecue. There really is a place for everyone to belong. And they welcome me with open arms. They've profiled me. They've given my recipes out, my articles, um, product reviews. And I've learned a lot and I've contributed a lot along the way. And through the course of my time at the Barbecue News Magazine for the last, I've been writing for them for the last five years. Um, I was, I won a couple awards of excellence for my writing from the National Barbecue Association. So that was really gratifying because um, you know, going back, you know, 10 years ago, I had no idea that that was even possible or that I would be in this world. But it's really helped me to flourish as a culinarian and as a barbecue guy, like even just in the backyard. And um, and I'm really grateful for the opportunities. Wow. Now, P- Peter, you, you're always someone that that very quietly uh, blows people away because um, I remember a few years ago you were on with Steve Salen from South Hill Cider. And we were talking about still cider. Um, just tell us, you, you know, you, you're a noted retail wine person in New York City, and somehow you be, you got enamored with Spain and the ciders of Spain. 
Yes. <clears throat> I used to be in the wine industry um, uh, for 25 years, and um, I fell in love with cider um, while I was on a wine trip uh, in, in Spain, in the, in the northern part of Spain, uh, uh, the Basque uh, part of Spain. Um, while I was tasting chocolate. So there is a, there's a, a town called Guiteria where they produce uh, incredible um, uh, chocolate, very crisp white wine from, from the Basque region. And while I was there, a friend of mine said, Peter, would you, do you want to go try some cider at a cidery? And I wasn't really interested because cider for me back then, when I when I was in the wine industry, uh, you know, I would say nine years ago, I had, you know, no respect for cider. Um, I didn't like cider, so I declined. And my friend said, "Peter, you should really go try some cider because it's from my town and it's uh, it's something spectacular." I. He convinced me, I went to the cidery and I took one sip of the cider and I knew my life would change. <laughs> it took me one second. And this cider was not what I expected um, because I, I know in the States, it, it was, as, you know, most ciders are, are, are sweet and, and fruity and carbonated. This was very far from that. It was complex, dry, minerally, uh, and it was something that I was not familiar with, but it was absolutely sensational. So it really rocked my boat. I was super excited. And then, uh, you know, I came, came home and with, uh, with a case of cider and, and I, I tasted, uh, you know, my family, I said, this is my new passion, my love, and this is what I think I want to uh, devote my life to. And I tasted them on it, and many of them said, yuck, what is this stuff? Uh, so it's, it's a cider that is made naturally, and it's kind of, it, it, it's a cider that's difficult to understand, but once you understand it, it's spectacular because it's, you know, if the apple was to fall from a tree and ferment in its own skin, that's what that natural cider would taste like. And that's what I fell in love with. Then from that on, my cider journey went, you know, to, to other regions because I knew that, you know, since my family had a difficult time, you know, liking the cider, I, I also had to come up with other, other ciders that are a little more friendly. So... I um, went to uh, Brittany and, and Normandy, and and then um, I, I tried out a lot of ciders from all over the world to to really you know discover what you know uh, how I can enter the cider industry. So still today, after eight years being in the cider industry, I still love the Basque style cider, and that's the cider that you know I. I drink on a regular basis and I, I produce that style of cider. I also make uh, seven or eight other ciders that are a lot more friendlier uh, and it's a little bit easier to drink. So right now, the, t tell me the label. So it's still, it's, it's Brooklyn Cider House? 
it's uh, yeah, the label's Brooklyn Cider House, and the 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 Black Belt Cider that I fell in love with is called Raw. And that's like super dry. Uh, is, is that the kind that you you you'd, you'd have coming out of the cask, like that you'd catch? Yes. Catch. So uh, describe what catch a little bit bit because I'm turning this into a food and and cider show. So you know the experience of catching the cider and drinking it, and some of the foods and flavors that that you would taste in Spain with cider. Yes. Uh, so uh, while I was there in the uh, in the cider house, um, uh, they would um, it, first of all the the ambiance was it's very rustic, uh, lots of uh, wooden benches, gigantic chestnut barrels, uh, you know, two thousand, three thousand gallon uh, barrel each, uh, and they you know had you know, as many as you know twelve to fifteen barrels. And they would, people would line up and catch cider from these gigantic barrels. So they would open up a spigot and it would shoot out a uh, beam of cider. And you will line up with your glass, catching the cider, cider splashing all over the place. But people would be, uh, you know, bumping elbows. They would be drinking, smiling, laughing. Uh, it's a incredible social scene. Um, it's a gathering place, and it's a place where, you know, grandma, grandpa, uh, to you know, young people, you know, and and mid-aged people, they all get together, drink uh, great uh, cider, and uh, have food. And the food they basically pair there is, uh, they have uh, chorizo uh, cooked in cider. Uh, is the is the first first dish, and then uh, there is a uh, bacalao uh, omelet, uh, and there is a uh, 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 a cod, uh, bacalao that's uh, um, just uh, cooked bacalao, and then there is a uh, a steak. And what's really surprising is most people wouldn't pair cider with steak. But it really works incredible with, uh, you know, you know, beautiful charred, uh, you know, rare steak and and cider works uh, really well. But it, it works. Cider works well I, with all the dishes. So it works well with chorizo, with uh, with the bacalao, with the omelet and the, and the steak. Um, and at the end, they give you uh, um, for dessert, they give you a membreo, which is a quince. And they give you uh, a whole walnuts, and you have to kind of learn how to, uh, you know, open a walnut and, uh, you know, have walnuts quince and and finish that off with cider. So uh, not only did I fall in love with cider uh, with the food, I fell in love with the ambiance as well. Now that's that's a great intro, and I, I remember several years ago sitting with you and having the the cider with the beef. And it was like a, a thin piece of beef on, with a, a bone on it. And it, to me, that was like the perfect, perfect pairing. Uh, I loved it. So back to Ray. So Ray, um, you know, going deeper, you know, you, you, you smoke, you cook with fire. You've got all these great past stories. Now you got the big green egg basics. But for, you know, our listeners, barbecue world out there, how did you become like a competitive barbecue judge? What does that take? Well, to become a judge, uh, you basically take a one-day class. 
and uh, they feed you, you know, different types of barbecue, and they basically show you how to judge it and why something would be, you know, one thing versus another, like one grade versus another, but they purposely give you bad barbecue during it. So it's not like you're just sitting there eating this great barbecue. They want you to, they, they want to try to create consistency of, you know, why something would be down and, and not, not so low or, you know, um, so you're, you're just basically tasting and then you're grading it. And then, now they've they've actually come out with a new program to to recertify, which I have to do, um, which you would do online with the Kansas City Barbecue Society. So basically, like you know, online testing now is that's the that's the next level of it. Um, but you know, when I started with the barbecue world, I just started like you know, with a competition team that I was just helping them out and. As in the food world, how I got into food world was I was basically, you know, an intern or someone who worked for free because I was so passionate about wanting wanting to learn the fundamentals before going to culinary school that I went and worked for free for some of the best people that I could find in my area. You know, people that had their restaurants rated in Gourmet Magazine, they used to have top tables issue every year. And just because I really I wanted to learn how to pair flavors and different profiles and just basically how to do the fundamentals. So I always got the short end of the stick. I always had to do like the really like uh, when I was doing my internships, like they would do, you know, boiled ham hocks. I would have to pick the hot, you know, meat out of the ham hocks or cut all the garnish for uh you know, uh, all the vegetables for garnish for service in specific cuts, your, your brunoise, your baton cuts. And it was really a great learning experience. And with barbecue, I started helping out a competition team and washing their pots and pans and learning how they season this or inject that and what they use, what kind of products. And so when I wanted to come out with my own products, it gave me an idea, it gave me a baseline of what profiles I was going for. For sure. You know, with my my barbecue Buddha belly rub, I wanted to come out with the rub that was really great for low and slow smoking. So it's sugar forward, it's low in sodium. You can, it's like an all purpose. You can use it on salmon, you can use it on your brisket in in conjunction with like a kosher salt and cracked black pepper if you wanted to because it is low in salt. So those flavors would complement each other and you would just build layers of flavor with them. I'll tell you, Brad. Next time you get to pick ham hocks, I'll join you because I, I I just love those inner pieces of, of meat and pig oh, and everything. Yeah. Hey, um, so you uh, part of the show you, we're going to talk about some of the recipes from your book, The Big Green Egg Basics, and we're going to pair them. Talk about pairing them with cider. Um, you know, originally you, you, some of these were designed to pair with beer. Um, let's talk about since we were talking beef. Um, let, let's talk about the, the smoked beef plate ribs. Um, and just talk us through the techniques that you learned, um, from using the big green egg. Cause I'm always confused too. I, I, a few years ago, I actually had six big green eggs for an event and it was interesting to see what, what chefs were doing with them. Some people say like these Komoda style cook cookers are more like, uh, like almost like a tandoori oven. What was it like for you having this big green egg in, in your yard and, and getting the time to play around with it? 
Well, you know, it 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 has that like uh, ceramic core. So the one thing that I have to say about the egg that I think is really amazing. And let me start off by saying I'm not affiliated with Big Green Egg and I don't have, uh, you know, this is an independent guide. You know, uh, my book, Big Green Egg Basics from a Master Barbecue is an independent guide. And um, but I really love their product. They stand Big Green Egg stands behind their product and I, I just love it. And one of the things that I've found with with the egg, because of its um, amazing heat retention properties with the with the uh, ceramics, that it's really economical on fuel. So one load of charcoal will I can run for like eighteen hours if I'm doing a low and slow cook. You don't have to, you know, when you put your charcoal in, if you're going to do a low and slow smoke, in the book I suggest that you layer, you know, a few chunks of charcoal throughout when you when you load up your uh, charcoal and this way as it burns down you get that shot of wood to season the whatever you're cooking throughout the cook so you don't have to take it apart and add more wood or add any you know it's, you're going to get in one one long cook everything if you set it up in the beginning like that um, it's really amazing for smoking in that regard because I don't have to fool with it. Like it is more of once you dial in your temperature, it's all about controlling the airflow in this in this cooker. So if you open it, you're gonna get a higher heat. If you close your vents, uh, you're gonna you're gonna cut down the you know your temperature, but you have to keep in mind it does take longer to cool it down than it does to heat it up because of those because of the ceramic interior. So it's kind of like when, once you get it going, you want to use it, like kind of like an old-fashioned oven. Right. Once once you get it really super hot, you know, it would be easier to do like, say, you know, a reverse sear where you, you know, you cook it low and slow for a while and then pump, you know, turn up the heat on it, like open your vents to in, increase your um, airflow and your heat and then sear your you know your beef or your pork at the end to get a nice crispy crust you know to you want to get that like nice char on it you know because that's that's really where the umami flavor is you know after it's been like you know cooking low and slow and then you caramelize the the meat juices onto the the, the beef it's like that's the, you just want to like gnaw at that you know that's where you're getting that flavor oh yeah well, I'm on 75, page 75 of your Big Green Eggs Basics book, and I know we did an interview with you earlier where we talked about the smoked beef plate ribs. Just just walk us through that recipe and what the seasoning is, because it says beef rub. And then I want to talk, ask Peter about, you know, how he'd go about pairing with that. You know, with with each with each book and with each recipe, I try to provide as much value to the reader as I can. So with these, you can use simply, you know, kosher salt and cracked black pepper. But throughout this book, just like the other book, um, I like to put different rubs and different sauces. So you can refer back to the book. You know, maybe you use this beef rub on a brisket. Maybe you use it on a steak. You, you, you know, it's this is like brisket on a stick. So it would be, you know, the equivalent but the, the beef rub is great. It's like, you know, you start with your kosher salt, your cracked black pepper, and then you, you know, punch it up with a little garlic, a little onion. And for me, the smoked paprika really ties it all together. Oh, I see. In the recipe, you actually make, you see, the, you give a recipe for a beef rub. Okay. Yes. Yeah. There, there is a, a recipe for beef rub. 
Um, like I said, there's no, there's no sugar. I I feel like there's a lot of, a lot of seasonings that go heavy on, on sugar or salt. Um, yours seems pretty balanced. Yeah, this is pretty straightforward. If I was going to season this, like I said, you could technically use just salt and pepper if you wanted to. A lot of Texas style uh, barbecue is, you know, simply salt and pepper. But I like to add a few other flavors and especially the smoked paprika. I, I think it gives it another layer, another layer of flavor. Um, but basically, you know, once once your cooker comes up to temperature, you put your ribs on and you let the big green egg do the work for you for three hours uh, approximately, you know, you're going to just let it do its thing. And you're going to really leave it undisturbed for that time. And then what I like to do, <clears throat> excuse me, is I, I pour a little liquid, you know, in there. Like um, I like to use beef stock. Some people, so, you know, I know some people use like, um, like a, an apple juice or just water. But the beef broth really, to me, it, it's consistent. It, it enforces that beef flavor and then wrap it. And then that's going to come up, you know, bring it up to temperature. Um, you know, you put them back on the egg, but the egg does all the work. I mean, it makes it so, it makes it like so easy. Like when you look at these ribs, they're, they're like kind of like dino bones. It looks like something that's going to be really intimidating. But, you know, once you dial in your temperature and, you follow a few simple steps. I mean, you're going to get great results with this flavor profile and uh, with the, with these directions on how to cook it on the egg. Wow. So if not a cider and pairings, Peter, I heard that you have a old world palate. Mm. I, I think so. I, I, I like traditional things. I, I like uh, traditional wines. I like Bordeaux and Burgundies, uh, Loire Valley wines, Beaujolais. And I, I think my palate's kind of, uh, you know, um, kind of in, into traditional things, traditional foods. I, I, I very much like uh, wood fire, you know, foods. So um, I think barbecue uh, is something I'm, I'm also doubling into as, as well up here in the, in the orchard. Yeah. So what, what, what's your food setup like up there? So it's Twin Star Orchards. Just I haven't been up there. I was only at, in the Brooklyn location. So what's it like as a customer? What can I eat and drink there? Uh, oh, abso absolutely. Um, only on the weekends, though. On, on, on Friday, Saturdays, and Sundays, you can come up and we have a uh, wood fire grill. We have a uh, wood fire oven for the, for the pizza. So I, I wanted to um, pair food with, with my cider. So I, I, you know, and since I've been exposed to incredible foods from around the world uh, and I wanted to do something wood fire because we have, you know, uh, so much, you know, apple wood up here, as well as uh, a lot of uh, other uh, varieties of wood. We, it's uh, red, red oak is uh, very plentiful up here. So we, we do a lot of our cooking with uh, apple wood and uh, uh, red oak. So here we we serve pizzas, uh, burgers. We uh, we also do brisket. We do ribs up here, um, and you know people can walk around, do uh, pick your own um, fruit, um, you know, sit down and have a glass of cider, order food, um, have have some um, nice uh, 
uh, wood-fired uh, foods and then, uh, you know, call it a day. Um, and we, we, all of our ciders work really well with, uh, with food because I think a lot of it has to do with my, my background. I was in the, the wine industry and when do you drink wine? You drink wine, of course. <laughs> you know, when, when you have food, you know, you, you know, my, my mind always is, you know, thinking about, uh, the, the perfect pairing, you know, if I'm drinking a wine, I'm thinking about a food, uh, that would pair well. And then if I'm, you know, um, also vice versa, you know, if I'm having a certain type of food and I'm thinking about, oh, which wine would pair really well with this particular dish. So uh, with, with that in mind, I, I also, you know, produce cider. So all of our ciders pair uh, really well with food. So back to the beef rib, it's, it, it kind of feels like when you have the steak at, at your Brooklyn location, Again, what would you pair with a with a beef ribs? It's like smoked, a little rub, paprika, little wood on it. Well, for me, the first thing that comes to my mind is because it's not really it it doesn't have any uh, like sweet uh, flavors. I would love to pair that with raw. You know, just throw the cider as high as you can. You know, catch it, and then you throw it back. I mean, I think with that uh, natural uh, uh, acidity that that's uh, it, it would cleanse the palate. So it, it would, it would work really well. So I, I would, I would say the, you know, that natural cider, very dry, tart, funky cider would go great. Uh, and so you, you kind dish. of pour it from high to aerate it. What, what is, what does that yeah, do yeah, when, you, when you aerate to act, it? Cause to activate otherwise it. it's like kind of more still and it's, the sourness so yeah what does the the high pouring do to your palate well it 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 opens up the cider so aromatically and and also uh flavor uh, profile as well so it it activates the cider so that cider uh that still cider has been sitting for a long time you know in in the bottle or in in the tank and then you know, you, you want to wake up that cider. So by throwing that cider, it gives life to that cider. Um, it the the wonderful flavors really um, jump out when you throw the cider when you activate the. It's cider. it's really a whole different culture, isn't it? So you're using the words like throw cider, catch cider, high pour. Uh, it's it's definitely a great show at a party, isn't it? Oh, a- absolutely. Also, another great thing would be like Perone. You know, like I don't, I don't know if you tried. I'm, I'm sure you tried the Perone before, but it's like a, a, a little. Um, uh, it, it's like a one of those um, uh, little genie bottles that that's transparent. It's glass. You you fill it with cider and you kind of. Uh, raise your arm really high and you let it pour out slowly. It, it kind of acts as like the uh, um, high pour from a bottle or from a barrel, but it's it's kind of in this uh, old glass uh, um, genie. Uh, uh, yeah, it's called a Perone. Yeah, I know what it is. Look it looks it like a, almost like a yeah. vase type of thing. A pour, a pour. Yeah, yeah. yeah they're, they're amazing. Those are great. Well, wow. And um, Ray, when I was thinking about your, your pairings too, I, I'm drinking an OEC, which is from Connecticut, one of my favorite old world style, but made in K- Connecticut. 
and he's and it's a pilsner and and uh taking peter's lead i'm just like a simple simple pairing to go with the beef and uh you know with meat there's always that little bit of fat um were you thinking of any pairings because i know we're, we're going to go through a, a few more of your recipes um is there something yeah. that you is there a beer that you drink that that goes with uh some of your dishes when you're out on the the grill yeah, I mean, you know, with the uh, with the plate ribs, if I was going to do uh, a beer, I would probably go with like a porter or a stout. Um, you know, when you we were talking about like you know some of the other recipes, like the hot wings. Um, you know, the hot wings have such a bold flavor uh, that I I feel like something hoppy, like an IPA or an American pale ale. Something with like citrusy kind of notes. I mean, you know, you could take your pick, but something that's going to kind of balance, you know, the heat. Um, like, you know, one of my one of my favorite dishes in the book is the uh, New Orleans style barbecue shrimp. And I think that um, we had discussed this uh, another time and you said that that was a dish that you really liked. Yeah, always a favorite. It's 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 so deceptively simple. And everybody yeah. loves New Orleans style barbecue shrimp. What is New Orleans style barbecue shrimp? Because it's not just throwing shrimp with a rub in a smoker. No, totally. It's it's more about the piquant sauce that it's served in that than it is of this the technique of cooking it. You know, it's it's um, you know, and and it, you know, there's there's beer in in the recipe. But, you know, when you have like uh, shrimp are naturally sweet and have this like succulent flavor. So, you know, pairing them with like a pilsner or a lager, something that's light in color, something that has kind of like a like a really great balanced flavor is is ideal. Um, you, you don't want a beer that's too heavy or too bitter. And this way you, you can offer some contrast because this this the shrimp are naturally sweet, you know, so you don't want to, you want something that's already balanced. The, the shrimp are sweet and the sauce is piquant, more like um, it's got a little kick to it. So that's already balanced. So you want something that will match that as opposed to fight with those flavors. So like usually your recipe is like, I used to cook it in a skillet with, with the seasoning and the shrimp in the yep. shells and with a lot of butter. <laughs> yeah, it's, 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 it is a lot of butter. Yeah. Um, but but basically, I tell readers in the book you can you can do it without the shells if you want it a little bit neater of an experience. But to have it like the way you're supposed to have it, you cook it in the shells, and it's just get some napkins and be prepared. It's going to be a little bit of a little bit messy, and uh, get some uh, you know some good French baguette bread to soak up all those great juices. Well, we're off to a great start. We're we're going to have to get some of Ray's recipes up to Twin Star and do a really cool. Uh, um, Saturday dinner sometime soon. But, hey, we're going to take a short break. We'll be back in a few minutes on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. I'm Chava Perivan, co-host of Agave Road Trip on HRN, here to talk about 818 Tequila. 818 creates their tequila using traditional methods that a family-owned and operate distillery in Jalisco, Mexico. From the blue agave they grow to their recycled glass bottle, 818 emphasizes the Earth's importance in all they do. Their distillery runs on biomass and solar power, which means they don't rely as much on fossil fuels and are able to reduce their carbon footprint. 
Their labels, corks, and boxes are all certified by the Forest Stewardship Council as coming from sustainability managed forests. 81A is a proud member of 1% for the Planet, through which they support HRN as well as Sacred, my organization in Jalisco, where together we transform agave byproducts and water waste into adobe bricks that are donated to local infrastructure projects, like a local library in Zapotitlan de Vadillo. Visit drink818.com to learn more about their sustainability efforts and find 818 near you. 818 has been part of so many magical nights for me, and I hope you enjoy it as much as I do. 818 Tequila, imported by 818 Spirits, Manhasset, New York. 40% alcohol by volume, drink responsibly. Hey, 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 welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Jimmy Carboni, I'm the host, and uh, become a member and support us at heritageradionetwork.org slash donate. There's so many great shows about food and drinks, especially Beer Sessions Radio and, and uh, Speakeasy and Back Bar. Uh, you can't go wrong at heritageradionetwork.org. All right, so we're talking uh, barbecue, cider, pairings, um, Peter Yee and Ray Sheehan. So Peter, um, you know, for you, Twin Star Orchards, I mean, this was huge. I remember when I first met met you guys years ago when you were just planning to open up your your legendary place in Brooklyn. You're just planting trees in the Hudson Valley. Um, did you ever think that you would not plant trees and, and grow fruit? Um, did you ever think about just, you know, making a product, you know, I don't know what the words are, but I mean, you, you really went in ambitiously, and I really respect what you did, and I love your products. Well, uh, thank you. Um, I, um, when I fell in love with cider uh, in, in Spain and, and uh, came home, I, did, I, I had no plan of uh, growing uh, apples myself. I, you know... Uh, I, I wanted to purchase uh, apples, uh, but a very particular type of apples. And I, I could not find them at that time. So I was forced to get into orcharding because I couldn't find what I was looking for. So what I was looking for were cider apples. And cider apples are different, just like... Uh, Grapes uh, for for wine, uh, such as Cabernet and Pinot Noir and Chardonnay, is different than table apples like Thompson's Seedless or Concord Grape. Um, eating apples, uh, I'm sorry, eating grape, eat, eating grapes or table grapes are are not very good for producing wine, and it's the same thing with uh, with apples. You know, table apples are are meant to be consumed, you know, as is as as a fresh fruit, and it's not so good for making cider. Um, so, I was forced to kind of go into orcharding. If I knew that I was going to take this seriously, I had to grow the fruit myself. Um, so that's why, you know, I got into orcharding, not really knowing how deep I was going to get myself into. Uh, how how you know uh, how difficult <laughs> it was going to be to <laughs> to for for farming because I think it 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 takes generations 
to really figure out how to farm efficiently. So how, how are you going to do that? I mean, is your, is your daughter involved with your business now? Yeah, my, my daughter's involved. Uh, she's, uh, um, she's very involved. She's uh, working here full time with me. Um, she loves cider. And, uh, you know, my, my son is also in the, the, um, the wine industry. Um, so he, he is, uh, um, not in the cider industry, but he is fermenting fruit. Yeah. And, you know, and when you first started, I mean, you, how, how many acres do you have planted now with, with cider trees? Uh, we have 60 acres, uh, of, uh, cider apples. Um, and, uh, the whole property is 210 acres. Wow. And about how many cider trees do you have per acre? Uh, we have, uh, uh just shy of 300. Wow. And it, it, is there, how did you figure out that formula? Like, w- were you modeling it on Hudson Valley apple growers? Did you have experts come from Spain to help you? No, we, 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 we had, uh, we had help from, um, a lot of, uh, we, from Cornell. We also have, uh, a really great, uh, consultant, uh, you know, uh, Mike Biltonen that that uh has always been uh our by our side he's he's had years and years of experience uh orcharding uh and you know we we wanted to plant a very specific type of apples but also we wanted it to be uh a, a certain root uh rootstock we we wanted to be as you know sort of the roots to be very deep in the soil um, so we, we don't have any, uh, um, dwarf trees, meaning that, uh, you know, we don't have, uh, high density plantings. Uh, so, so, you know, most of our trees are fairly, you know, big, uh, anywhere from, I don't know, 10 to 15 feet. Uh, and they're called semi dwarfs and, uh, all of our, our farm is it's dry farmed. So we don't water our, our trees. It's, it's just what mother nature provides. And, and in order to, to, to do that, you, you know, you, it's, um, much, uh, it's, it's better to do when you have very, um, deep, uh, roots, uh, such as, uh, you know, semi dwarfs or standard, uh, root system. Wow. No, man, it's, it's, a, it's a great story and a great journey. And, um, it was great having you at brisket King uh, a couple weeks ago. Um, it was the first time I had you, you actually pouring yourself at, at, um, one of our events. Uh, wh- what's it like for you? I mean, you're, you're, you've got a great presence and, and you really represent your, your brand. Well, um, is that a new thing for you going out to events with Brooklyn Cider House? Oh uh, yes, because um, <laughs> because I'm kind of uh, obsessed with uh, a lot of the the things uh, in house, making sure that things operate correctly uh, in house. So I, I was never able to do that when our Brooklyn location was open. So you know, I I never had the opportunity to go out, uh, but. You know, since we closed Brooklyn and we have a strong team now and, you know, my daughter's involved here up in uh, New Paltz and, you know, we have a, a great general manager. Now I have time to go out and, you know, um, see the world. So, you know, I, I 
have not really been to many events, but uh, I'm starting to to attend a lot of events What's now. That? Well, I'm going to yeah, make it a point to to go to events. Yeah, now. I'm hoping to get you guys at our upcoming Rib King event, uh, May 28th at, at the historic outdoor Snug Harbor. And I'll tell you what, what you would be paired with if you can come. Uh, I'm, I'm putting you in a kind of a taste of Spain section. We've got our friend uh, from Tierra Colada, which they have an estate, olive oil estate in Spain, and he's just been selling it under his own label. He'll have one table. The next time we have a 24-month aged Kentucky ham from our friend Dakota Hams. So you'll basically be getting uh, something like a, a Iberico ham and, and Spanish olive oils and flavors like that. And uh, I picture um, you, you with Brooklyn Cider House or another really dry cider next to it. Um, is that something that does that inspire you when you think about Spain and 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 pairings? Um, I, I think I want to hear more about your time in Spain and and because I feel like the that cider life and grilling food and wood fire kind of is similar to to what barbecue is here in America. Yeah, I, I think it's it's very similar. You know, I, I spent a lot of time in Spain, uh, and they do uh, they they have their own version of barbecue. Uh, they they when you go to the the cider house, you know they have a barbecue grill uh, that they cook on on wood, um, and and also they have a tradition of doing like barbecue fish. Um, but also, I, I spent a lot of time in Argentina where you know. Uh, asado is, oh, yeah. is very, very popular. Yeah, and one of the inspirations for me to do why you know all like wood fire cooking is, you know, I, I have a a, um, uh, a chef that I really admire in in Argentina called Francis Marmont, and he has uh, you know I've been to uh, many of his restaurants, and uh, he has one restaurant called uh, uh, Seven Fires up in Mendoza, and I. I spent a lot of time uh in mendoza and that's one of the inspiration that that you know uh made me fall in love with wood fire foods um and and spain for sure is is uh you know they're, they're in love with uh, wood fire cooking as well so i i think the cider should go really really well with barbecue i think barbecue and cider it goes hand in hand. Barbecue is a American, um, you know, cooking, and and cider is a is, is a all American beverage. You know, it, it was the the preferred beverage, you know, for for uh, the the presidents, uh, you know, you know, George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, and and it, it was the beverage that was more popular than you know, wine, beer, or water back then, but it was totally uh, forgotten about uh, at during uh, Prohibition. And, and, and during Prohibition, all these cider apple uh, trees were ripped out and replaced. And, you know, uh, cider producers are now starting to bring back these traditional apple, uh, cider apple varieties, and to, to pair cider and barbecue i think is is all american uh uh pairing and i'll tell you one of our friends tank jackson he's a heritage hog farmer in south carolina it's he's known as holy city hog um he'll be coming up for the rib king event may 28th 
and he's a big fan of Spanish cider. He's he's been um, he's been working in in South Carolina with an importer of um, Astorian ciders. So uh, we, we're definitely thinking more cider than ever for barbecue. And Ray, for you, um, when we're talking about that that shrimp dish, the New Orleans style barbecue shrimp. Uh, I was thinking IPA. I was thinking uh, some of the carton boat beer that I used to love so much, like a session IPA with a, a little hops on it. Um, yeah, I can't stop talking about some of your dishes. So you got you got a queso dish. Um, let talk, talk us through making a queso dip on the the big green egg. The queso dip is really just. It's like a really fun dish that's super easy to throw together on the egg. I mean, you basically, uh, you know, you saute. In this recipe, I use uh, sausage. So you saute that, cook that ahead of time. And then you just put all your cheeses and your spices and your cilantro and chilies and everything into, you know, either a cast iron skillet or whatever pan you're using. And it goes right on the egg and you... It just makes it so easy. It's like one of those things that, you know, like I said, once you get your egg dialed in, you you throw this dish on there, the egg does all the work, you give it a couple stirs. And, but the, the main thing really for me is I like to just let it be for the, the first part of the cooking. So this way, like, you know, when you spritz your meats on the smoker, that water catches the smoke and really helps to adhere the smoke flavor to the meat. Well, same thing with the queso dip, because it has a moist environment and you have that all that surface area, that's why I won't stir it in the beginning because I want all that surface area to take on some of that smoke. I don't want to over smoke it. I want to use that smoke seasoning like salt and pepper. And I just want to like uh, give it like kind of a mild kick of it. I want it to be like background, not like this smoky thing that you can't even eat, you know, with creosote. But I'll let it sit for a little while before I start stirring it up. And it's just, and that's it. I mean, that's the whole dish. It's just so easy on the egg. And, um, you know, if I was, if I was going to pair it with, say, a, a beer, um, I probably would go with something like um, something that's going to tone down the heat you know, something with a slight sweetness, maybe a brown ale, something that would match perfectly with that pork sausage and, and the cheesy goodness in there, you know, with all the chilies. Yeah. Can, can, can you talk us through your, your queso recipe? Because um, queso is confusing. To some people, it's just like a, a cheese sauce. Uh, to others, it's it's got sausage and it's richer. Um, what is your queso recipe? So mine is a little bit richer and it does have sausage in it. Um, for mine, I have like sausage and a few different types of cheese. And then I have onions and peppers and all these things you can prep ahead of time. Your jalapenos, your green peppers, diced tomatoes, um, and all the seasonings. And it's really just, you know, everything goes into your pot and onto the egg and you don't you really don't even stir it until everything starts to kind of meld together and then after that I don't stir it until like I said because I want to build a little bit of the smoke into it um, but basically once you get your big green egg up to temperature you combine all the ingredients um, except for your like say 
I like to have fixings with mine. So once it does come off the cooker, I'm going to top it with like scallions and I have even some, um, you can do like a little sour cream if you like. Uh, even like can like candied jalapenos on top or, or pickled jalapenos. But you basically, you know, aside from the fixings, everything into the pot, onto the egg, you know, until it's melted and bubbly. And it's really simple. I mean, my goal with this book was to make things for people, that, like to give them recipes that would inspire them to cook on the egg, that they weren't too complicated because you can go and you can make, you know, a, a whole cheese sauce and, you know, start with the roux and everything. But this, to me, this was simple. This was like get people cooking, get people having fun out on the egg. No, I'm looking at the photo in your book, the Big Green Egg Basics of the, the smoked queso beer dip. And that's what I think of queso. When I've had friends from Puebla and New Mexico City make queso, it's a, it's a big, wide top, so it's a, a wide skillet, and it's very thin. So it actually, the cheese and everything really gets, it's almost like, I don't want to say making nachos without the nachos, but um, it's not like some soupy. I've, I've been to some Mexican restaurants where right. it's like a soupy cheese, you know, cheese dip and um, right right th this is pretty great so you really you really um inspire me and making me hungry and i'm looking at the pictures of your dry rubbed hot wings again too and i, I do feel like that what you're doing especially with the with the the komodo cooker and what peter does um i i think the flavors re really do go together H have you cooked with with cider ray I, I want you to think of a question for peter because um i feel like the two of you guys are going to be friends <laughs> yeah i mean i i i i am with uh i'm a, i'm with peter you know my i love uh, spanish cooking and and i hope to visit spain and my favorite restaurant of all time has been jose andres restaurants in dc you know uh, oyame and um, sure um haleo haleo is really you know that was the first place i had the iberico ham and uh you know, the chefs came out and explained all the dishes and the, the Spanish omelet. I mean, it was like such a great experience to have the smaller courses and to have more of them because your palate really gets, you get fatigued when you, like if you sit down to a whole big plate of one thing, you know, you do get palate fatigue. And, and it's like after the first few bites, you don't really taste, uh, it's it, your taste buds aren't alive like they were when you first started eating it. So in this style, when you're only having a few bites of each course, the whole meal seems, it's like the, the sum is, you know, it's like just greater than the sum of each dish by itself. So I can really appreciate that. Um, but my question for you, Peter, is um, which one of your, or what type of cider would you recommend to, to have with like a smoked pork loin. That's like one of my favorite things, like a smoked pork loin. And why? Well, sm smoked pork loin, it, it it depends on what seasoning. If it's just a very basic seasoning and it's not spicy or sweet, I would go with uh, like a, a very elegant dry cider. Um, Maybe I, I would even go with like a still cider um, um, or something that's got great acidity, something that's uh, 
minerally, uh, something dry, um, you know, that could work. But also, uh, if you were to season the loin with something, you, you could, you could pair it with something a little, you know, something a little bit sweeter, um, something that, uh, you know, something that's off dry, um, that, and, and maybe mildly carbonated. Uh, that that could work as as well. It it really depends on the flavors that you put on the seasoning that determine what type of cider uh, you would pair with. And just like uh, there is, you know, thousands of different wines, there is going to be uh, thousands of wine, uh, ciders uh, that you know that have different profile. So. Um, it's, 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 it's very exciting for me to think about the cider world 20 years from now, because I, I think 20 years from now, it's going to, cider is going to be a, a complete game changer. And we're, we're, we're still waiting for a lot of those orchards. That's part of it, right, Peter? Oh yeah. We, we just need people to grow cider apples. And when people start to grow cider apples, there's going to be very high quality cider, um, you know, you know, in, in the marketplace. Um, one of the things that I, I wanted to mention is uh, you mentioned some some wings, right? Some yes. spicy wings. I mean, that that for me, I mean, there's a cider that I make called Kind of Dry. Uh, that would be an absolute perfect pairing. You know, it's you know, in in wine, in terms of wine, you know, what would I pair with? hot wings, I, I would go with a uh, low alcohol German Riesling, you know, so something that's, you know, very minerally high acid, uh, low alcohol that would pair well with uh, spicy foods like that. And and we have a cider just like that. Uh, you know, I make one called kind of dry and that would pair really beautifully uh, with, with that. Peter, the the kind of dry is it, how much carbonation is it? And, uh, how how sweet is it? Um, it's it's off dry. Uh, so it's it's um, uh, ten. Uh, it's probably about fourteen grams per liter of sugar, and uh, carbonation level. Uh, it, it's um, three bars of carbonation. All right, getting a picture. I still don't know, but uh, and for you, last last question for Peter. Um, with your background in wine, when you're describing what you just did, you know, carbonation and and um, sweetness levels, is it the same? You describing this on the same categories, the same levels as you would with wine, or or or, or are they different? different products. No, it's it's it, it same. I, I think wine and cider is very similar. Although, you know, there, there are some cider makers that that uh, kind of uh, that might not produce it like like wine producers, but it, it's fermented fruit. And it's for me, it's very much in line with uh, with wine. Like I, I don't make it differently than than, than wine because you know I, I made wines before uh, and it, it's it's very similar to making white wine. That's great. You guys listen, it's been a really great conversation. We could continue this 
hopefully we'll have a dinner together sometime. Definitely up at Twin Star Orchards and um, perhaps at one of our upcoming Food Karma events. Last question for Ray. Ray, again, why the Big Green Egg Basics Cookbook? I mean, you're an accomplished chef and recipe writer. Um, what, what, why this book? Uh, well, for a number of reasons. Uh, you know, I wanted to basically demystify the notion that cooking on the big green egg is difficult. It, when I first tried to cook on, you know, or, or when I first came in contact with the big green egg, um, I was in a pool store and, no, you know, I wanted to buy this egg, but nobody knew how to use it. And I didn't know how to use it. <laughs> this is many years ago. And um, I've since, you know, taught myself how to use it. And I wanted to share that, you know, my trial and error and, and how I succeeded in using it with um, with readers that like to grill and kind of, like I said, demystify the notion that it's difficult to cook on. And I was really excited to to win the Big Green Egg for uh, Sauce King NYC Grand Sauce Championship. So I wanted to put that out there. But, um, you know, when it came time to write another book, uh, we kicked around a, a couple different ideas. And uh, my publisher, the first idea I came with, I forget what it was now, but they they were like, you know, no, I, you know, what equipment do you have? And I'm like, well, I've been cooking on this big green egg. And they're like, oh, that's, you know, that's that's great. What what can you tell us about it? And then one thing led to another. And, you know, that that was the inspiration was, you know, um, those two things. Those were the two major turning points for me were, you know, uh, making it easy for people to cook on the big green egg and to they could cook. Even though it's big green egg basics, the food is not basic. It's the basics and the really the fundamentals of how to light the grill, how to set it up, how to control your temperatures, how to um, cook, bake, roast, um, smoke all on one cooker. Um, and there's even two, like I said, there's two baking chapters. There's a sweet and a savory baking chapter. So it, you can do everything from cooking your Thanksgiving meal on the big green egg. You can cook pies and cakes and cookies and um you know, I do. I even do my crab cakes. Are, are um, my crab cakes won best crab cake in Delaware at the uh, at at a festival there at um, in Lewis, Delaware. And I wanted to get that in the book because that's another technique. You know, you can fry on the egg. And even though I don't do a ton of frying on it, I thought that one would was uh, was worthy for, and would offer more value to the readers because it's another technique. The chapters are set up by technique. So you have your high heat grilling, your low and slow smoking, a roasting chapter, and then the two baking chapters. And, it, you know, so the book really is all about technique and, and how to cook on this uh, amazing piece of uh, outdoor cooking equipment. No, Ray, you know, now that we're getting ready to kick off summer, um, it's the perfect book. There's so many sauces in there and rubs and, and techniques and everything. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to refer to your book all, all summer. So thanks so much for joining me, guys. Peter Yee from Twin Star Orchards and Brooklyn Cider House. Ray Sheehan from Barbecue Buddha and author of Big Green Egg Basics. I'm Jimmy Carboni. Thanks to our, our team, Armin Spenge and our engineer, Alex Tran, our producing intern. And uh, thank you so much for joining us. We'll catch you next time on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. Woo. Thank you, guys. Beer Sessions Radio is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. 
Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.